Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is Ed Milet from World Financial Group. Hey, this is Lori Harder from Earn Your Happy. This is Guinness World Record holder Nick Belenda. I want you to learn how to max out the relationships in your life. If you want your relationships to be blissful. And if you want to learn how to connect with world-class people. You should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast. With my good friend, Travis Chappell. If you're tired of the old way of networking, the business cards, the awkward conversations, and the aggressive pitches, but you know how crucial your network is to your success in life, then you're in the right place. Welcome to Build Your Network, the only top-rated show committed to helping you master content networking, foster real relationships, increase your authority, and build the network of your dreams. Listen in on conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, authors, thought leaders, and more as we deconstruct their best strategies for your success. So get ready to burn your business cards, ditch the name tag, and discover the new way to network with your host, Travis Chappell. Hey, everybody. My name is Eric Skrzynski. I'm Travis Chappell's producer, and I have an amazing show lined up for you today. Today, it is time for a midweek mashup episode, and this episode is all about fear and more specifically, how to conquer fear. So here to help us punch fear in the face are some clips from some incredible guests on the Build Your Network podcast. First up, I'm sure you are familiar with him. His name is Ed Milet. He has a net worth of over $3 billion. He's the co-founder of the Carlisle Group, one of the world's largest and most successful private investment firms. Next up is Lori Harder. She runs two seven-figure businesses. She's the author of A Tribe Called Bliss. She's a TEDx speaker, 10X cover model, 
3x fitness world champion and she promotes sustainable health spiritual well-being and emotional thriving she's also the founder of the bliss project event and she's been featured on nbc fox own and tlc networks and last but definitely not least is nick wallenda he is a seventh generation member of the legendary wallenda family known worldwide for his incredible feats up on the high wire and beyond he's the holder of 11 Guinness World Records, among which are the highest four-level eight-person pyramid on the wire, the highest and longest bicycle ride on a wire, and hanging from a helicopter by his teeth. His career began at the age of two as he learned to walk the wire while holding his mother's hand, leading from there to record-breaking performances across the United States and around the world. In 2012, Nick fulfilled his lifelong dream to become the only person to walk directly over the precipice of Niagara Falls, which is broadcast live by NBC. In 2013, he became the first person to walk a wire across the Grand Canyon, and he has been on the Discovery Channel. Uh, He walked blindfolded between two skyscrapers like, this guy knows all about fear, and I know that these three guests are going to help you conquer your fear in a big way. So if you appreciate anything in the episode, if you feel inspired by anything that's said on this show, be sure to take a screenshot of this episode, post it to Instagram, and tag Travis with the handle at Travis Chapel. Thank you so much for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. Look, I'm a product of having some great mentors all my life. I've sought out people who would believe in me, who would care about me, who would love me and who would help me. I'm not ashamed or embarrassed at this stage of my life still to try to draw people into my life who will bring that value to me. And I'm a product of that. You know who some of my friends are. And to this day, they still stretch me. They still push me. I still want that. I still want to have a few friends who make me uncomfortable. I don't want all my buddies. We just lay around. We're kind of comfy all the time, right? I want to have some friends that make me uncomfortable. And so, and I I seek those out all the time. So no, that mindset shift change of serving other people, of intention, of the power of my intentions, I would never have been successful in business without it. So taking it from this point forward, how long did it take you of hustling, grinding, setting up meetings, prospecting, doing pitches and presentations? How long did it take you to start seeing real results in the financial industry? Yeah, I probably got pretty good after three years, meaning my skill set had developed through enough trial and error Mm -hmm. that I I was probably competent. I think sometimes through all the reps, everything, it probably took me two or three years before I kind of figured out what worked for me, my formula, my recipe sort of. And so then I kind of had my presentation down, how I would overcome an objection, just my vibe, right? You know, at first I think you kind of copy other people that are around you and then you sort of morph it into your own style. So it probably took me three years. And during those three years, I probably almost quit 3000 times. <laughs> That's a, that, that was my next question. Yeah. Cause I, yeah, I mean, it's constant. Cause you just, you know, listen, man, the amount of financial pressure that's thrown upon some entrepreneurs, including mm-hmm. myself, it is like, you have to ask yourself in advance, is my will to win for sale? I mean, can I be bought with enough failure? Right. What's the price I'm not willing to pay for my family, for my dreams, for my legacy, for me eventually meeting the ultimate version of me someday? You have to almost in your mind decide in advance my will to win is not for sale. I cannot be bought because what I did is I spent the first three years constantly negotiating the price in my head, which is many of your listeners doing every day. They're negotiating. Is it worth it? Is it not worth it? What I paid? And then instead of just saying, listen, you can't buy me. I'm not buyable. My will to win cannot be bought. I don't care what the price is, how long it takes, no matter what it is, 
I cannot be bought. And by the way, that type of commitment has massive power to it, massive freedom, massive peace. It's almost like, man, like when you got married, if you were really serious when you got married, this is forever. There's a peace. There's a power. Most people are so afraid to get totally committed because they think it actually ties them up and it doesn't. Total commitment frees you. Hmm. Right. And so I wish someone would have told me that. When I was always negotiating it, many of your listeners are doing it, right? Bless your heart. You're, is it worth it? I don't know how much more I can take. Why don't you just decide now if you can be bought? Just decide right now. Is there a price? Is your will to win for sale? Do you, are you someday going – is there a ticket? You just – you grab it and say, I'll take the ticket to average. I'll take the ticket to boring. I'll take the ticket to easy street. I'm just going to have an average bo- – because that's what everyone's going to try to get you to do. Everyone in your family, everyone, half the people you're trying to win for are the very people trying to talk you out of it, mm-hmm. right? So you got to decide up front because the whole, all the forces in the world are going to try to force you to the easy road, the road everyone travels. Or is there no price you won't pay? I'm not talking about legal, ethical, or moral. We will never right. give in on those things. But aside from that, is there a price you're willing to pay? Can you be bought? And I, I just tell you, at this stage of my life, and I did this very young – you can't buy my will to win. I'm not for sale. I'm going to win. I'm like a dripping faucet. I'm just going to keep coming until I break through. <laughs> and so that is a powerful freeing force in your life. Yeah. So, so powerful. I love that. I love everything about what you just said. So just a little bit of context here. I come from a door-to-door sales background. So a yeah. lot of prospecting, a lot of no's, a lot of slam doors and F off and get off my porch type situations. So people ask me this question a lot. So I want to ask you this question because I think that you're going to have a really great insightful answer here. What is your best advice for handling rejection. I think a lot of people take it really, really personally. And there's a bunch of things that I've tried to study in order to be able to help people that I'm training uh, to get over these things. What's your take on that? Yeah. Okay. Let me give you my best on this because I think that there's all these things people teach every nose closer to a yes. And you can rationally think that, but when it's happening, that doesn't help you. Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. The, The symptom is that rejection's hurting you. Okay. The disease, listen, is your lack of self-confidence. That's the disease. And here's how it works. Self-confidence is really self-trust. When I meet someone who's self-confidence, let me tell you what I know about them. They have built a reputation with themselves of keeping the promises they make to themselves. And over time, if you keep the promises you make to yourself, you grow your self-confidence. That's the key to growing self-confidence is you keep the promises you make to yourself, whether that's a certain amount of phone calls, a certain amount of doors, a certain amount of appointments, certain time you get up in the morning, certain amount of behavior, way you eat, whatever it is, certain amount of times you pray a day. I don't know what it is. When you begin to keep promises to yourself, you explode your self-confidence over time, which means you have a, an impeccable relationship with yourself. When you have an impeccable relationship with yourself, You are unconcerned and unfazed with your reputation with others. Other people's opinions of you and your reputation with other people is meaningless. What is meaningful is your character. And so that pain that you're feeling when you're being rejected is just illuminating the disease of lack of self-confidence. So the key is to begin to work on your self-confidence because in the game of life, your life is like a movie. You are the leading character of that life, and your loved ones that you're doing this for are the leading characters, the best supporting actors, the leading woman, the leading man, right? Your family. At the end of a movie, if you watch the credits, listen to me, everybody. You watch the credits. Watch it. In the beginning, it says, you know, Robert De Niro, leading actor, Meryl Streep, leading woman. It goes through the lead characters. But if you watch long enough, all of a sudden towards the end, doesn't it say like 
taxi cab driver number two. They don't even name him. <laughs> right. Right. Guy in the background of the bar, number four, <laughs> yeah. fight scene guy, number eight, right? Okay. What most people screw up in their life is they live their lives not worrying enough about what the leading characters think, and they spend their lives obsessing about taxi cab driver number two. <laughs> and until you begin to live your life for the leading character, you and your family, and you separate from worrying all the time about what taxi cab number driver three thinks. And those are the people rejecting you. you got to go into those appointments with self-confidence, knowing your intentions are good, knowing you're there to serve them, having a great reputation with yourself. And their response, your reputation with them is inconsequential. And so I can honestly tell you, I'm not going to tell you that rejection never hurts me because I want to be like, like most people, mm -hmm. but I'm not arrogant, but I'm self-confident. And so I know my reputation with you doesn't matter because I know what my character is. I know what my intentions are. Mm -hmm. And so by focusing on your self-confidence, your intentions, your character, and the leading characters of your life and reminding yourself, it's not that these people aren't valuable that are rejecting you, but in your life, they're taxi cab driver number three, man. They are not going to show up in the pages of the book of your life one way or the other. The other people are, which is who you're doing this for. And so I guess it's one of those, it's a long way of also saying your why has to be massive. I can just tell you, when I train people, I'm working on their disease all the time, not the symptoms. Hmm. So would you say then that self-confidence, working on your self-confidence, making more deposits in your confidence bank than you're making withdrawals in your confidence bank, would you say that that would, if you were to boil it down to kind of one thing that allows you to be able to handle rejection, to keep going, to stay committed to your purpose, would that really all boil down to self-confidence? Here's the irony of it. Yes. And, and it's all what you give yourself credit for. Here's, it's amazing. You made those 10 door knocks, right? Yeah. Okay. If you're obsessed with self-confidence, if that's what, what your obsession was, right, then actually what just happened when you knocked those 10 doors is you kept that promise you made to yourself. It, no, regardless of the outcome, your self-confidence should have grown because you kept the promise you made to yourself. Hmm. The mistake people make is they go keep the promise they make to themselves, and instead of focusing on that, they focus on the response from yes. taxi cab, taxi cab yeah. driver number three. <laughs> Okay, so the very fact yeah. that you knocked the 10 doors when you told yourself you were going to do it, you should be increasing your car. This is not listen, life is not about overcoming things. This is a misnomer in personal development. Listen, if your whole life is always about overcoming things, you're always going to have things to overcome. That's not how it works. It's happening for you. And so you're not overcoming this rejection you're getting. You are building your self-confidence. Stop obsessing over what the taxi cab driver thinks of you. Because guess what? The minute you leave there, he's not thinking of you. He's thinking of what you're thinking of him. Okay? The majority of people are not thinking about you. Quit giving yourself so much credit. They're thinking about what you're thinking about them. And so if you can be the one person in the room who's not thinking about what people are thinking about you, you're winning because they're all thinking about what you're thinking about them. So I promise you that's the win. I love when I walk in a room. I know I'm not thinking about what you're thinking about me. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I know you are thinking about what I'm thinking about you. <laughs> yeah. I love to share that a lot of my success came way later in my career. Um, so if you're starting out later – Perfect. And, and, you know, there's so many people who I know who are starting out even later. And I, I think that's amazing because it's all divine timing and you have to trust that because if you don't trust that, that's where you're going to get stuck anyway. Um, it's just another limiting belief is that it's too late. It's never too late. But for me, this has been years in the making. And I really think that 
there was just a pain point of staying the same that started to hurt so much more than finally starting to confront some of my fears. And my main fear that I had to first overcome, I mean, there was a lot of beliefs I had to overcome of being worthy and self-worth and things like that. But for me, fear was a big one that held me back. Fear of judgment, fear of just not being able to do it, fear of having panic attacks. So for me, I had to first really work through uh, my anxiety and mm. panic attacks. So that was really, really big because that kept me from getting on a stage. It kept me from speaking in front of people. It even kept me from going out socially sometimes because mm. I just, any center of attention for me would cause like, uh, honestly would cause a panic attack. So for me, that was huge. And I really did not start to overcome that until I started confronting my fears started doing fitness competitions, started saying yes to the things that I wanted with my fear. And just knowing that I just got to a point of knowing that no matter what happened, even if it meant passing out on the stage, it was still better for me to go and try it than to live with this like disappointment of betraying myself, of knowing who I was Hmm. and not showing up as who I was put on this planet to be. So I was willing to now face the pain of like maybe massive humiliation over the pain of this horrible, like knowing that you're meant for more and settling and not doing it. So ultimately the, ultimately the fear of, I don't know, maybe regret. I don't know if that's the right way of saying that, but the fear mm-hmm. of regret is kind of what took over the fear of failure. Is that, mm-hmm. would that, would that make sense? To, I don't know if that makes sense. Yes, myself, but, <laughs> yeah. it totally does. You know, I've always had this like innate gift that I think that we can all tap into actually. I think we all have it. Um, maybe you'll call it a gift, maybe you won't, but I really think it's valuable for your life is being able to really fast forward to the end of my life or to 10 years down the road and use that as a tool to see where you're at. If you do not make changes and if you're going to be okay, who's around you, who's still with you, uh, what job are you at? What does your actual day to day look like? What are you feeling like in the middle of the day? What are you feeling like when you put your head, um, on your pillow at night? And like, if you can let yourself go there, like on a daily basis of, am I going to be okay if I don't do these things? Like, am I going to be okay at the end of my life if I don't do these? I think the people who, you know, ignore what they want to do are the people who also ignore the fact that we're not going to live forever. Hmm. And that it is only, we, we don't get, we don't just stay the same. You're either always getting better or you're going backwards. So if you're not taking action right now to move towards the person you know you are, you are moving backwards and your 10-year plan is going to be worse than where you're at now. Oh man, gaining clarity is such an important task. And I I feel that so many people just neglect doing it. I don't know if it's just from a a standpoint of they don't know that they should be doing it or it's just they don't want to take the time. But um, man, that's something I've really been trying to put into practice in my own life, Lori. And I'm glad that you brought that up because um, gaining clarity has brought so much... Gaining clarity on my long-term has allowed me to gain clarity on my short-term. What do I need to do today in order to make sure that in five years from now, I'm where I want to be? I'm where I see myself. And if you're not doing that on 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 a weekly monthly, yearly, whatever kind of a basis, then uh, the, the way I liken it, uh, the, the the picture that I like to paint, Lori, is you're just kind of like a, a boat that's just kind of floating in the ocean. And you're hoping that you're going to end up at your destination. But unless you 
make yourself head in that direction, then the odds of it happening are literally none because Mm -hmm. you haven't ever put that direction in place. And so if you don't know where you're going, then how do you know how to get there? And Mm -hmm. um, man, I think that's such an important piece of information for people to start to digest. I think so many people give up on their dreams and their calling in life because of fear. And I remember those thoughts of fear at 19 and 20 and 21 and going, man, I screwed up. I should have went on to be a doctor. I should have went on to school. But then in the back of my mind going, no, but this is my passion and I'm not going to give up. I don't want to wake up every morning and go to work miserable just because I know a paycheck comes in every Friday. I want to go to work and do what I love. And through that, again, through a lot of challenges and a lot of setbacks, which I talk about in my first book, which is titled Balance, uh, but it's all about those five steps forward and eight steps backwards. When you basically decided that you were going to continue going after this career path, was there anybody else in your family that was kind of like with you pushing forward or your parents doing completely separate things and wanting you to go yeah, to school? So, so my parents had moved on from the industry completely. My dad was running a theater and my mom was working in another end of the entertainment industry, but not not performing on the wire because again, there was just it just felt like there was no future in it. So, um, but I, I did meanwhile, got married during that time to my incredible wife. We've been married 20 years now, but she comes from eight generations of circus on one and seven on the other. And uh, the third oldest circus family in the world. So I had her support, but also the stress of having to raise a family. At that point, we had one child, one on the way, and uh, and didn't know what the future was going to be. But again, I knew that I had this passion. I knew I had this desire. And I knew that there was potential. It wasn't like it was a foolish, you know, throwing dreams, you know, casting dreams. I knew there was potential of it because of that seven-person pyramid, because of that eight-person pyramid and the media attention that it garnished. I knew there was interest in what we did. We just had to kind of break the code, which is very, very tough with all the clutter in the, in the world these days. How do you go about the decision-making process when you're looking at another feat? Yeah, so I was on a call today for another event that I'm working on that will take a lot of governmental involvement, a lot of politics in order to get permission to do. And as I was on the phone with my team, there was a certain member of the team that said, you know, I just don't think it's realistic, etc. And I literally said, and I felt bad afterwards, but I said, you know, I don't know that you're the right person for my team. You know, getting permission to walk across Niagara Falls took changing two laws in two countries that were over 100 years old, literally changing laws, going all the way to the highest points of government in order to get permission to do that walk. That was just the permission process. Took two years, many, many doors slammed in my face, many times that I thought, man, I don't know, should I continue to pursue this? But again, I had that passion, I had that dream, I had that desire. So when I look to do an event, I look at something that if I can wow people like David Blaine and Chris Angel and David Copperfield and the Knievels, et cetera, if I can make those guys jaw drop, then I'm doing my job. Yeah, and, and that's really the way I look at it. I'm very, very jaded in that sense because I have been blessed with so much opportunity. And I look at the walk itself, the permission for the walk as much as the challenge as the walk itself. So again, it's one-liners. Nick Walenda walks over Niagara Falls. Nick Walenda walks over the Grand Canyon. Nick Walenda walks over Times Square. Nick Walenda walks over an active volcano. So it, it is all about what is a line that makes sense. Okay, yes, I want to tune in and see a guy walk over you know, 2,000 plus degree magma on a cable the size of a nickel. I'm into that. And that's sort of the way that I choose them. But also I enjoy the permitting and the permission process probably as much or more than the walk and the training that leads up to it itself. Really? Just because of the challenge? That's right. I love that challenge. I love there's something that clicks in me when somebody says impossible or it can't be done. Or you can't. There's something in my mind that goes, okay, then that's what I'm going to do next. (laughs) Times Square was harder, honestly, to get permission than changing two laws in two countries, walk over Niagara Falls. 
it really? was that much harder. You know, 17 skyscrapers had to give permission, let alone the city and the government and the permitting. We shut down Times Square for three days. It hadn't been done in 30 some years other wow. than for New Year's. That's an incredible task. And again, that is the thrill for me is when I go to that first meeting or with my team and, and I say, here's what I want to do next. And they say, man, it's just not realistic. You can't engineer a wire like that. I'm like, all right, well, thank you. Then you just confirmed that's my next event. <laughs> Are there any of these really stick out in your mind as being not necessarily the most difficult, not necessarily the most fearful or most challenging, but the most rewarding of any of the walks that you've done? I would say the most rewarding walk that I've done was probably when I recreated that walk in San Juan, Puerto Rico that took my great grandfather's life. Mm. Uh, I was able to go back and rig a wire between the exact same towers. And I get goosebumps when I tell this story, but I, I stood on the sidewalk with the same reporter in the exact same spot that interviewed my great grandfather on the sidewalk before he went up and walked that wire. And I was able to interview with that same reporter in that same spot. And they go up and recreate that Again, sort of proving to the world that my family doesn't give up and that we continue to, against all odds to continue to go on and push the limits and prove to the world that nothing is impossible. And, and that truly is what my life is about now. It is so little about impressing people, but it is so much about inspiring people that nothing's impossible. When you get up there, how comfortable are you at this point? Are you always nervous before you start walking? Or at yeah, this look, point? I would tell you that I have to be nervous, just like some of the greatest entertainers in the world that Elton John pukes in a trash can before going on stage, 90% of his shows. He's the best in the world at what he does. And everyone in the world knows him, but he respects, he doesn't puke because he's scared. He respects what he does. He respects his audience and he wants to deliver to such a high level. Right. And that's the same with me in a sense of, yeah, there's nerves. I was just with Rob Gronkowski the other day and he, we were talking about just this, just hanging out. And he said, look, I get this every time I go on field, I get that nervous. Well, he's, he's arguably the greatest in the world that ever played his position, yet he still gets nervous before he goes out there. And again, for me, it's so important that I still keep that respect because if I become complacent, it becomes very, very dangerous to walk a wire. And it, it has happened before to me where I was walking over the Allegheny River in Pittsburgh with 250,000 spectators live. And I remember seeing my kids fighting over their Game Boy and going, man, they need to be disciplined when I get down. That's not a wire 280 feet up without a safety device. Yeah. So it happens. But then at that point, it's kind of like a, your mind, something clicks and you go, you know what? You better focus. Yeah, You're risking yeah. your life. There are times where I'm walking over between a couple skyscrapers. And I go, what am I doing? I'm, I'm literally walking on a wire the size of a nickel without any safety devices. What a crazy life I have. So it's, it's funny to look at my life from the outside. And it's while I'm on the wire often where I'll be like, am I really doing this as I'm yeah. looking down onto people that look like Ian? That's it for this episode. If you want to connect with Travis and other like-minded people who also listen to the show, then you're going to want to head over to travischapel.com slash group to join his free Facebook group, Podcast to Profit. Travis will see you there. And remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.